Happy New Year, everyone. It's Michael Scotto, Senior MBA Insider for HoopsHype.com and the host of the Hoops Hype Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by James Hamm. He's the co-host of the Insiders for ESPN 1320 Sacramento, and he provides great coverage of the Kings. Sneak peek, that's why I have him on the podcast. That's who we're going to be talking about today. You can follow James's coverage of the Kings at thekingsbeat.com and the Kings Beat Podcast. I implore everybody that's listening, people that are going to be reading the transcript on Hoops Hype to subscribe. You know, I, this all started, by the way, because I texted James that I was happy that he got the Juan Toscano-Anderson news because there are some people in the league that if I don't break something, I'm happy that they get it because I know that they work hard and, and James fits that category. So I appreciate you taking some time out to join me on the pod, brother. How's everything your way in the start of 2024? Yeah, everything's good, except for the Sacramento Kings are about as erratic a team as you're going to find. Um, but uh, yeah, everything is good overall in life and everything else. Uh, definitely glad we're uh, we're still kicking, still, still turning, turning these years. It's good. It's good to be in the league still and still cover a team that uh, somehow figured it out after many, many, many years of ineptitude and, and failures. Yeah, uh, you could certainly say that again. Um, it, it's been a, it's, it's fun to watch the Kings, you know, on league pass for me. Um, you know, they get up and down and, and they've got certainly two all-star caliber guys. Keegan Murray looks like he's coming into his own. But, uh, you know, James, they, they took a step forward, obviously, last year making the playoffs. And it seems like now they're primed to do so again. And with that in mind, they've been active in, in trade talks and, the biggest name that's come up recently, you talk about erratic. Um, I guess you could say a little bit of that for the trade conversations for Pascal Siakam. They've been, they've been a little erratic. You know, it, it seemed like for a hot second there, maybe they were going to get him. Then they pull him back. Um, from from my standpoint, um, James, I had heard that the Sacramento's talks for Pascal Siakam centered primarily around Harrison Barnes, Kevin Herter, Davion Mitchell and, uh, you know, maybe a pick or so potential draft pick compensation uh, of a first round variety for Siakam in, in those talks. From your standpoint, being there on the ground day to day, what have you heard on where those Pascal Siakam uh, talks stand at, at this point? Because he's certainly a guy that can move the needle potentially for the Kings or any team across the league if they acquire him before the deadline. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly interest with the Sacramento Kings. I think we we saw it all play out on Friday while the Raptors were here in Sacramento. Not only were you know was Pascal Siakam here, but uh, their entire front office was in Sacramento. And so you kind of had this moment where if something was, was going to get done, uh, it might get done on one specific day with all of the parties like in a room and, and being able to work through some some of these issues that they might have. The Kings have been in on Pascal Siakam for probably the last two years. Uh, same with OG Ananobi. So again, there have been plenty of discussions between these two teams just because they kind of match up, especially what the Kings need and what the Raptors might be looking for. I think when OG was uh, shipped to the, the Knicks, it sort of sent out a message that this is what the Raptors are looking for. They're, they're looking for 23, 24 year old players. And the, the Kings of course have Keegan Murray, 
but the Kings aren't trading Keegan Murray. And everything that I've heard from inside the walls, uh, they just have no interest in trading Keegan Murray. They believe him to be a star in the making. And, you know, he's kind of proven a couple of times this season that he might be that player with, you know, the 47-point game. And then uh, even his his recent run, 28 and 12, 18 and 11, you know, he's, he's showing flashes of the player he can be. Uh, so it makes it a little difficult because now is Toronto willing to take on a couple of veterans? And, you know, Kevin Herter is a guy who's only 25 years old. He's under contract for two more years after this year at a reasonable rate. Uh, Harrison Barnes is a guy that still has plenty of basketball left in him at 31 years old. He's under contract for two years. And then Davion Mitchell is sort of, sort of that player looking for a fresh start and, you know, former number nine overall pick in, in what, 2021. Um, so I'm not sure that that package is enough to get it done, but when you're dealing a player like Siakam who makes 38 million bucks, you know, you're going to have to take back some veteran play at least. Uh, just because of the salary matching. And so I, I think the Kings would still be in it, but some of the the issues that we're hearing right now at this point might be that, that Siakam didn't want to come to Sacramento or that Siakam made it known that he would not sign an extension. I don't have it on my end, but here my one of my buddies here at ESPN 1320 in Sacramento, Damian Barling, uh, according to his sources, Siakam made it clear to the Kings that he – would likely not re-sign um, if, if they did trade for him. And so that just kind of crushes this entire deal just because of the salary structure, uh, the fact that the Kings wouldn't have a whole lot of cap space to actually replace Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter if they did move on from those guys uh, and then lost the in free agency. So Kings aren't looking for a rental. Uh, I think they, they're looking for the piece that they believe will put them over the top or at least put them in the championship contention range. Siakam could be that player, uh, but if he's not willing to buy in and be part of uh, what they're building here, then I don't see the Kings coming back to the table, uh, you know, for for a rental player, especially if they've got to give up some substantial draft capital. Yeah, I mean, even on paper, the fit would be interesting because you'd have DeMontis Sabonis at the five, you'd have Pascal at the four, Keegan Murray would have to shift to the three. And, you know, then you got Malik Monk probably at the two, De'Aaron Fox at the one. On paper, it, it's got a lot of pop, no question. But um, some interesting uh, thoughts that came to mind from from what you were saying was that, to me, you know, even dating back to last year at the trade deadline a little bit, there's this notion about, well, you know, for Siakam, whether he wants to sign somewhere or not, that that's going to affect the deal. Yeah, certainly. But I would also say, you know, Siakam is going to want a max contract. And if you're the incumbent team that trades for him, you can offer the most amount of money. So to me, I wonder eventually if there would be a push come to shove moment, because in theory, if Toronto doesn't want to give him a full max, then would you kind of signal to another team that you don't want to go there when maybe they would? There are teams out there that are desperate to improve. You know, first and foremost, certainly the Detroit Pistons, for example, are, are a team that's been linked to him. And, um, you know, they're desperate to improve. You know, for Sacramento, I mean, that would be a winning situation for him if he was able to go there. Um, you know, other teams have certainly called as well. But 
that that was something that stuck out to me. Um, you know, you touched on some of the guys in that deal. I mean, um, that you know, I had mentioned like as far as you know, Kevin Herter goes, um, he's taken a a step back this year for whatever reason. I, I'll let you kind of take the floor on that in a second. Um, Davion Mitchell. I think it'd be best for both sides at this point for a fresh start because, you know, the second that Keon Ellis kind of took his spot in the rotation, um, it raised some antennas around the league. And I think it's at a point where other teams see some value in him as a defensive guard. And the longer it drags out that a guy who is undrafted and on a two-way contract is playing over a lottery pick, the optics outside of the organization are not going to look good for his value. So I certainly would expect him to be a guy that's on the move. And he was a guy when I did my uh, top trade targets piece for Hoops Hype at the start of the year, he was my number one guy there. Um, So I certainly could see that. Draft pick wise, I'm curious what Sacramento would ultimately do for Siakam because I think that would be the the needle moving component if you're not going to give up Keegan Murray which I've heard as well and any other team I talk to around the league that talks to Sacramento has heard um but I did mention Herter um what what's going on there because this is a guy that played very well last year yeah, I mean, he was the Kings' third leading scorer on the highest offensive rated team in the history of the NBA. And, you know, to be honest with you, we've seen some moments from him where he struggles. Uh, I think it, it started, to be honest, at the three-point shootout in in Utah last year during All-Star Weekend. And you saw him get in his own head a little bit. He recovered after that. And he had a pretty uh, a pretty good April, uh, March and April for the Kings. Shot really, really well from three, sort of bounced back. But then we got to the playoffs, and he had the same exact situation where he just – the three-point shot went out on the fritz, and he almost played himself off the court in, in the playoffs. We get early season – well, we get to the preseason this year, and out of nowhere, Mike Brown started talking to the media about – you know, Chris Forte getting a start during preseason and that job might be up for grabs. And I don't think that Herter responded well to that. Um, like, I don't think he like threw a tantrum or anything. I think that it got in his head a little bit and he was looking over his shoulder and Duarte of course got hurt. And so it opened the door for Herter to start the season, but right away you could tell something was a little off and over the last couple of weeks, it's gotten worse. Uh, I, you know, he's a he's a good guy. Um, you know, he doesn't want to miss shots clearly, but what, for whatever reason, he's not able to have the same success. To me, it looks like he has a little bit of a hitch in his shot about half the time. Um, when he's really concentrating, you can see that he smooths it out, but there's just something that got into his got in his head, and he hasn't been nearly as effective and. You know, they've given Chris Duarte a five-game stretch here, and Duarte hasn't really been that good during the five-game stretch, so I wouldn't doubt that the Kings at some point go back to Herter as their starting shooting guard. But for right now, like, Kevin is kind of out of the loop, and he's on, you know, he's coming off the bench with Malik Monk. He had a solid game the other night uh, in the when the Kings were blown out by, by the Pelicans, and maybe it was a get-right game for him. So I think that there's still potential there. He's still young. I mean, he's 
still only 25 years old. And again, he's under contract for two more years at a very reasonable rate. And so I think that there is some value to him on the open market. But the Kings still owe a 2024 protected pick for him. So, uh, you know, that it's he's still on the books as far as the transaction to get him, which makes it even more complicated when you're going to trade him because now you're basically, if you're throwing in a pick with, with Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes and Davion Mitchell, you're actually you're losing another pick already for the Herter deal in 2024. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. I like I, I think that there's a way that he snaps out of this and just becomes a player he was last year, and he's just too good of a shooter to to be uh, to have this kind of ups and downs. So, um, yeah, there's a possibility he recovers. And then to get to Mitchell really quickly. Like Davion Mitchell is a, a very good NBA player, and he's he's actually a really really hard worker. He's just a square peg in a round hole in Sacramento, and I think we saw it last year, like right away. The style of offense they want to play, this up tempo passing, playing all everything through Demontis Sabonis. He's just not made for it, and there's a way that he goes somewhere else and finds a ton of success. I just don't know that he can find it in Sacramento. And again, I, I think he's a He's a good kid. He he does everything he needs to do to to get better. He spent all summer working with Steph Curry and his trainer to improve his three-point shot. But it's really hard for a player to go in the game at the six-minute mark in the first quarter, then come back out of the game at the nine-minute mark when Fox comes back out on the court and Sabonis goes to the bench, and then maybe you start the, the second quarter. So even if you're getting six or eight minutes in the first half, it's disjointed and, and cut up. And he's just never been able to find a rhythm. So again, I, I think he's an asset, but he's probably, he's not a negative asset at this point because his contract isn't that bad. But I also don't think that teams are clamoring to to get their hands on him right now. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that's the, you hit the nail on the head. Look, Fox is there. You're never going to, you know, supplant him. And inconsistent playing time is not good for a young player. That's why I think for both sides, Certainly, it would be, uh, you know, it'd be good to kind of part ways. And I mean, you know, we saw Sacramento realize that, um, you know, they made a decision with Tyrese that he wasn't going to be their guy as much as Fox. And then they made a win-win trade. So, like, for, you know, I'm not saying they're on the same level, but for Davion, like, yeah. you know, if you get a guy like Siakam or somebody else for the kid and the kid gets to play somewhere else, it's a win-win. You know, some trades, it's... It's okay that that happens. It could be the same for the Knicks and the Raptors, but, uh, yeah. you know, that we just saw. But, you know, what else is interesting? Yeah. I know they've been connected to Siakam certainly recently, but there had also been some Zach Levine chatter a little bit earlier in the season. And with Zach, um, you know, I had heard the two names that kind of came up there from Sacramento with Zach at, at different points during trade conversations were Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes. And from Chicago's side, I do think there is a level of interest in, in Herter for sure, because um, to my understanding, they've done some, I would call it like background intel on him, trying to figure out what's going on there, um, why he has struggled a little bit this year, but but he's a player that they've liked. So I, I think Herter would be more the interesting component there. Um, that's a team that doesn't want to rebuild. They almost want to retool. Again, I don't know if that would be my 
strategy if you know GM Scotto was pulling the strings, but I'm yeah. just the messenger, folks. So um, I thought that was interesting. And you know, before this regime, Vivek Ranadive was there when they tried to give him an offer sheet many years ago um, with Zach. So with all that said, what what is your stance on kind of Zach Levine? Because would be a nice, I guess, offensive upgrade, but I, I don't think it fits defensively, you know, Mike Brown. And if you guys haven't seen the viral video of him chewing out, uh, I think it was Malik Monk on defense from uh, preseason or something like that, or training camp, that was uh, hilarious. So I don't know how he would do there. Yeah, I don't know how he would do either. Um, I, I look at the contract that Levine is under. I factor in the the knee injury early in his career. And, and then you look at the defensive fit. It's just bad. He's uh, an electric scorer and, you know, he's a bucket for sure. But if you don't play defense, Mike Brown's not going to want to rely on you. And, you know, you, you can only hide so many players. And for me, he's just a player that, you know, you're committing still like close to $200 million for if you were able to trade for him at least in that situation, you're getting a player who's under contract and who's going to be around. I know that there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of chatter around him wanting to play in Sacramento that he would love to pair up with De'Aaron Fox. But I, I think the other thing, when you're looking for players, I think Siakam is one example where Siakam's a winner. Siakam's won an NBA championship. And it's not to say that Zach isn't a winner, but he's been to the playoffs once. And the Kings, if they're trying to build something and you're looking at this this group of players that are in the 28 to 30 year range, you kind of want a player that understands how to get you to the next level. And I'm just not sure that he's that guy. And if you you were to make a trade for him, you're all in on a, a big three or a big four that includes, you know, Fox, Sabonis, Keegan Murray and and Zach Levine. And that I, I'm not sure that that's good enough. You know, just because he can put up points, you know, Cam Thomas can put up points. You know, there are guys that coming out of every draft that can put up points if that's all you need from them. But I, I'm not sold on him as a fit next to Fox, next to another player who shoots 20 time, 22 times a game, uh, next to a, a big man that, you know, controls the entire offense. I just think that there are better players that can plug in that even if you are all in, you're not all in it. 200 million bucks and and really like pushing all of your chips and then throwing your car keys on top because that's kind of what you're doing there i i certainly understand the the concerns there you know what's ironic before i would say i think it was the last game or two the uh the leading score for the brooklyn nets was cam thomas like the before before he was uh you know summoned to the bench instead. I thought that was uh, interesting timing. But yeah, I mean, as far as uh, Zach, I mean, I, okay, well, I'll tell you what. If, if if you if you have the concerns about like, if he's like kind of a winning player to an extent, right? The next guy I got to ask you about would also, actually, no, nah, I mean, he won a championship, but he's on a bad team this year. It's Kyle Kuzma. And I'm pretty much going to let you have the floor on this because you've been through all the times they've 
try to get this guy, but Kyle's a guy that, you know, people around that other teams around the league are certainly monitoring Kyle Kuzma, um, you know, given where Washington is in a rebuild, there are teams out there that certainly think that they would move them. Not sure how much draft compensation they would ultimately get, but what's ironic is in a draft class this year and potentially next year, next year, that's a little weaker than others. If you can move picks for a guy like that, it's not, as bad maybe on the on the surface as as people would think because they are weaker draft classes. So, regarding Sacramento and and Kyle Kuzma, do do you see anything there potentially if they can't get Siakam? Yeah, I do. To be honest with you, uh, Monty McNair, you know, basically had a trade worked out, Buddy Heald to the Lakers for for Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harold a couple of years ago. And it fell through. Uh, of course, the Lakers at the last second took the Russell Westbrook deal instead. Um, and then again this summer, from what I know, the Kings were very interested in Kuzma again. Uh, they had negotiations with Harrison Barnes and his his group about a potential fit, uh, about bringing Harrison back. But then the Kings got to a certain point with negotiations and then went radio silent for like 10 days while they went out and made sure that they were making the right move for themselves. Uh, Part of that, from what I know, was to kick the tires again on Kyle Kuzma. So Kuzma eventually went went back to Washington. Uh, We even heard some rumors of him potentially going to Houston this offseason before they were able to uh, land Fred Van Vliet. But... I get the question because the question that you initially asked there is about being a winning player, right? And we can say, sure, he won a championship. It's the bubble championship uh, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and he was really good in that in that run. But when a player chooses to go back to a team that's not going to be good, that's giving up Bradley Beal during the offseason and bringing in a guy like Jordan Poole and – Like there's just not a path forward for them, but he chooses to go back there as opposed to going to Sacramento. If that offer was in fact on the table for a really good situation on a team that just won 48 games. And like, if you look on paper, he's a perfect fit. You know, he, he's long, he's athletic. He can play a little defense. He can rebound at a a decent clip. Um, He's a decent passer in the right situation, he's a solid three-point shooter, not a great three-point shooter, but if you can get him to 36%, uh, you know, with Sabonis passing to him, I, I think that that's a possibility. I just think he he checks so many boxes. The problem is, is he serious? And, you know, I, I think that's always going to be the question. Like, it, it's not about the way he dresses. It's not about it, – it's – it's about the fact that he chose to go back to a situation that anyone who's ever played 2K knew wasn't going to work. You know, anyone that like watches the league knew was going to be a losing situation. Um, I guess he got his money, but I, I would argue that the Kings offered had the same exact money to offer him. They did. They had over $25 million to offer him, and that's the deal that he signed. The one thing that I would say about Kuzma and why if I'm the Kings, I'm still in is because he signed 
the same deal that Buddy Heald and and Harrison Barnes signed in Sacramento a few years ago when Ken Catanella was running the money for Vladi Divac. And it's a declining scale contract. It goes from 25 and a half to 23 and a half to 21 and a half to 19 and a half. And to me, that's perfect for the Kings because a couple of years from now, Keegan Murray is going to need to get paid. And we keep watching uh, De'Aaron Fox's salary go up and Demonis Sabonis' salary going up. And you got Malik Monk that needs to get paid this summer. So there's going to come a point where you're having salary cap situations and it, a guy like Kuzma on a declining scale contract makes a lot of sense. And if it doesn't work, if he doesn't take it serious, if he doesn't want to fit in, you're still going to be able to trade him because his contract's too good. And so that's why if I'm the Kings, I'm kicking tires. Uh, you know, if it costs you something like Davion Mitchell and Kevin Herter uh, and a lottery protected first round pick and maybe a second, that would make a lot of sense for me. He, he's a good enough player to fit in. He like offensively and everything else, he might be the perfect fit next to these other two guys. And uh, the switchability with him and Keegan Murray at the three and the four would be interesting to me. I certainly think Washington has to get a couple of first round picks or the equivalent of that. Maybe it's a good young player, so, you yeah. know, which, by the way, it's always a sliding scale. Like sometimes people take that price tag a little too literally. It's it's there are ways to quantify the same thing. But yeah, my, my thing is, like, if you're the Wizards, yeah, you know, you're struggling, you need you're struggling and you know you're going to be bad, but like you can't be like trust the process bad. You know, that that's that's the thing. I mean, they're going to be bad on their own. You trade Kyle Kuzma. I mean, and you're not and if you're not getting anything really of substance back. Yikes. Like, I, you know, yeah. and again, they're, they're in a full rebuild. The, the Wizards should have done this years ago. So, you know, you can't like get mad at them for doing it. They're going to have their pains, but the, if if they're going to move Kuzma, I would have to think they're going to get the full price tag they want. Otherwise, they could just kick this can down the road. Now... Yeah, but what, they are 6-30. and 30. Like, they are horrible by all accounts. You know, this is a team that isn't going anywhere. So I, I'm with you. Like, you're, you're going to want to shop him, but I'm not sure that the value is out there that they believe. And maybe it is. Maybe there's a team out there that's willing to to go that route. But I also like the idea, if I'm Sacramento, of potentially trading for Kyle Kuzma while keeping Harrison Barnes on my roster. And all of a sudden, Harrison Barnes as my sixth or seventh best player really isn't that bad. You know, that's that that puts you in a realm where your bench just takes a major, major leap forward. If you're coming off the bench with, you know, Malik Monk, Trey Lyles, uh, Harrison Barnes, and and whatever else you want to put out there, that's fair. Um, yeah, I I think my stance was just that, given that these drafts are weaker coming up, maybe they do get it like on paper what they want, but I don't know if it translates yeah. as well given the the quality of the drafts. Um, by the way, great time to plug we. We did just update our aggregate mock draft on Hoops Hype. Make sure you check that out. Mm. Spent plenty of hours and days on that and uh, talking to execs. You got a lot of quotes in there on what they think. You know, if uh, if you don't care for my opinion, hear from the people that are going to draft these guys themselves. As far as you, you touched on Malik Monk a lot, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift there. Um, his future, he's going to be a free agent after this year. Uh, this is a guy that. 
by all accounts, I would think should get paid. He's put himself in a much better position financially in Sacramento than he was previously before he came to the team. He's been consistent. Uh, He seems to have been about the right things in Sacramento and been a part of a winning team, which, as you know, helps dictate your value. So regarding Monk, I would certainly assume that Sacramento would want to keep him long term. I don't don't think that's... uh, a shocker there, but what have you heard on his potential free agency future in terms of maybe what he could cost and if Sacramento thinks that they can keep him or not? Yeah. So, you know, he signed a a two year mid-level with the Kings, which puts the Kings in a pretty precarious situation here. Um, The best they can offer from what, from my math is uh, a starting salary at 17.4 million with, uh, you know, the 8% annual raises. I think it puts it around a four year, $78 million contract. And I I think if you would have offered that to Malik Monk at any time before, uh, you know, last season, that would have been, you know, like a a no brainer. He would have signed on the dotted line and and he would have signed twice if you wanted him to. Um, But at this point that might not be enough. And Sacramento Kings have to be really honest about that. They need to be honest with it about it right now. Like they need to know if he's going to be sticking around or if he's not. I think there's a lot of reasons why he would stick around in Sacramento. Uh, number one, you know, De'Aaron Fox and him are, are like brothers. They were college backcourt mates at, at Kentucky. And so there's that tie. But even more than that, I, I think that, you know, when Malik was in Charlotte, they were never able to be on the same page. He was never able able to sort of reach his potential. Uh, when he goes to the Lakers, he started to reach some of that potential as sort of a secondary guy playing off of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, he found some success there and, you know, everything was going well. But at the same time, he was still like a little brother. And when he got to Sacramento, I think because everybody in Sacramento is around the same age, uh, everyone, you know, on the roster outside of like Harrison Barnes, Alex Lynn, JaVale McGee is around this 24 to 27 year range. They're all in similar, similar life, uh, you know, situations. And, you know, I, I think that he's found a way to blossom and allow his personality come to come out in a positive way where like he is the heart and the soul of that team. Uh, you know, he's a catalyst player in my opinion, and, you know, where Malik goes, the Kings go on, on most nights. And so you don't want to have to replace that. You know, I know, uh, you know, Jeff Petrie, when he was here in Sacramento, he found that guy in Bobby Jackson and the Kings relied on Bobby Jackson for so much, but, you know, it was always with the caveat that Bobby wasn't going to start. He was always behind Mike Bibby. He was behind Doug Christie. And, you know, like even when one of them was, was injured, he didn't get the start. Somebody else did. And so I, I think Malik might look around the league and think that maybe there's a situation where he can be a starter and maybe he can go in and make more money and be a starter. But for like, if I were giving career and life advice to Malik Monk, man, finding the right situation and finding an NBA home is so difficult. And for a player who spent, you know, four years trying to figure out how to, how to find himself in Charlotte and, and not coming to a conclusion and moving on. 
and then not having you know all the success that he he has had in Sacramento with the Lakers like there is something to being a really good role player on a really good team so I expect him to chase money I expect that the Kings will be in the conversation uh but at the end of the day if someone comes through with you know 25 to 30 million dollars a year and and gives him the keys to the offense and says you're our starting point guard or whatever it is the Kings are going to have a tough time competing with that and I also think that not only do they have a tough time competing with that, but that might be the what happens. Like, there's a good chance that Malik Monk uh, like looks for as much as possible uh, because, like, look at 25, 26 years old, you only get these paydays every once in a while, and uh, the fact that the Kings can't go more than 17 and a half million bucks, you know, it is what it is. You know, the the early bird is what it is, and. Like there are very few options for the Kings to clear cap space to go out and sign him to a bigger deal. Um, outside of trading all of their players for Pascal Siakam and having him walk away during the off season. Uh, outside of that, you know, you're going to have a, you're going to have a difficult time. And so I think the Kings would love him back. I think Malik knows that he's loved here and loves the fans and all that. But at the same time, uh, players do it. They, you know, they do what's best for them a lot of the time. And I think I, I think Malik will probably follow that path. You know, as much as Fred Van Vliet, Fred Van Vliet broke the bank with Houston, it's not always that case with free agency. Like you need, you almost need your own team, depending on who has cap space to to really want you. I think that number that you you threw out there, the max that they can offer, maybe around like seventeen or so. I mean. Uh, I guess it depends, right? If he views himself as a starter or a bench guy, it's it's still very early in that process. But you've yeah. got to have one of the cap teams thinking that you are a twenty-something million dollar a year guy. But it's early in that process. But I'm of the mindset as you are that for Malik, he's got his guy De'Aaron there. Like they've certainly gotten a lot out of him. I don't think. The grass isn't always greener on the other side, and I don't know for him if he went to another situation if it would be as good. Like, they're not the same player, but for example, when Lance Stevenson had played outside of Indiana, he wasn't the same guy. So to me, you got to look at that and say, well... Maybe it is about fit. And I, and I think for Malik, certainly in Sacramento, it's been a, a great situation for him. Um, we also touched, too, on Keegan Murray. And yeah. I wanted to get your your thoughts on him because if they're going to get Siakam, if they're going to get Kyle Kuzma, you're going to move Keegan Murray po- positionally down to the three. Um, is that so- – like, is Sacramento trying to upgrade at the – or while moving Keegan to the three? Like, what? what's the thought process in, in Sacramento, given where he's at? Because yeah, you did mention that he could be a star, you know, that they view him as a star a little bit, too. No, they, they view him as a star. Like, I've had conversations within the walls. Even last year, like, I asked the question, would you trade him for Laurie Marketing last, last season? And the answer was no. We believe he'll be better than Laurie Marketing. So that should tell you everything that you need to know about what they feel about him as a player. Now, the thing that I I find really interesting, and I was also told this by someone within the walls, they view both of the Murray Murray boys, uh, the twins, 
as late bloomers and they have young bodies, right? And for NBA teams, what that means is that if you get him in the right situation with the right training staff, that you can kind of choose your own adventure. You know, if you want to bulk him up uh, and make him a four, that's fine. If you want to lean him down and make him a three, then you can probably do that as well. And this offseason, Murray stuck around in Sacramento with uh, De'Aaron Fox. They've built this incredible bond. Uh, uh, like we call him Uncle Keegan because um, you can see like Instagram videos or photos all the time of Keegan pushing De'Aaron Fox's little boy on the stroller. Um, he is part of their family. And that's something that I think has really helped Keegan because he's a really quiet kid. And trying to get him to come out of the shell is, isn't easy. But I also think that having a elite speed, 30 point per game, 28 per point per game guard going up against you every single day during the offseason really, really helped Keegan Murray. And I've covered the league for a long time. I don't think I've seen a player walk into a press conference room and say, hey, I became a better athlete this summer. That, you know, you got guys who become a little quicker. You got guys that bulk up, guys that like take care of their bodies and, and do a transformation. But to have a player say that he's become more athletic was kind of odd. And then to watch it play out on the court, he do, he is. He's a better athlete than he was in college. He's a better athlete than he was last year. And he only seems to be getting better. So there was a time where I was, you know, I, I pegged him as like maybe a league average defender, maybe a little bit above league average and with some switchability between the three and the four, but I thought he was more, more four than three at this point. I think he's more three than four. He can defend the one, the two and the three uh, as well as the four. And he's showing me that, that it doesn't matter what the Kings need. He can fill whatever the void is that they aren't able to get. So if they need him to somehow slide to the two, okay, he's, he's defending twos on most nights. And if that's the one issue that you have is that, you know, he's got to be able to defend his position. Uh, he gives the Kings about as good of uh, an option at the two as, as they have, as far as his ability to, to defend the position and that flexibility that he's giving the Kings right now, it's what makes them okay going out and, looking at Pascal Siakam or looking at Zach Levine or looking at, you know, again, Kyle Kuzma, because his roster flexibility and his ability to shoot the ball and, and defend multiple positions really does like give you a wild card if you're a general manager. So I, I think, you know, again, I don't know if he can be as good as Laurie Market. And that's, that's the Kings talking. That's not me. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's people who believe that within the walls. Um, but you know, a guy who can put up 47 points in a game shows you something, you know, there, there might not be a ceiling there and he needs to find consistency and everything else, but, man, he's a really, really good second year player who's growing into a role and fits with this roster perfectly. And not just on the court, but off the court has found a home here. And like the Kings aren't gonna, the Tyrese Halliburton situation happened. They're not going to repeat that unless somebody were to come in with like a godfather offer and no one's walking in the door and saying, Hey, we'll give you Giannis Antetokounmpo for as long as Keegan Murray's in the deal. Uh, those are the types of things that I think it would take for the Kings to move off of him, at least as of right now.
Yeah, and I mean, look, the, the Tyrese thing is kind of funny to me because, yeah, I, I get it. You know, he turned out to be one of the best point guards in the NBA, but he was never going to be that with Fox there. And it was a nope. win, it was in a way it was a win win. You know, for both sides, like both teams got better. Um, but you know, it's interesting when you say when you were saying about you know this is what you're hearing inside in the walls of you know him being better potentially than Lowry Markinen from Sacramento's viewpoint. All I could think about was Lord of the Rings and you being the watcher on the wall. Um, I thought, <laughs> <laughs> but I. As we kind of wrap up with King's stuff, um, just like in terms of trade stuff, I mean, I had heard they they would like to get some defensive upgrades if they can. I don't know if Juan Toscano-Anderson, um, you know, on those 10-day potential deals, as you touched on, is, is going to fill that. You know, I certainly look for Keon Ellis to potentially be a guy in the mix for a guaranteed contract uh, conversion when they got to go for the playoffs. Um, any back-end stuff you're keeping an eye on in Sacramento there as we uh, wrap up on All Talks Sacramento Kings? Yeah, I think, like, the the JTA talk is, you know, like, look, they've got to get through the trade deadline. Once they get through the trade deadline, they'll make decisions on who's going to be there long-term. And uh, you you need roster flexibility. So, you know, they they love him. Uh, Mike Brown has a long history with him with, from their time together in, in Golden State. Uh, but then there's Keon Ellis, who is just – he's a bundle of joy, and he's long, he's athletic. And I know Mike Brown said, hey, I don't want to compare him to Bruce Bowen. But the way he gets through a screen, the way that he can go over the top of a screen and fight through, or he can go under a screen and still close out fast enough, he said, that reminds me of Bruce Bowen. And so they have a lot of faith in who he is as a player and what he's becoming. The fact that they're asking him to do the exact same thing that he did in college or the exact same thing he did in high school, it's translated really well. Um, I expect him to be around, um, you know, as soon as if they have a roster spot that, that doesn't need flexibility after the trade deadline, I think he would be a player that would be in line for something like that. Um, and he's a good kid and he's a hard worker and, you know, he's done everything that they've asked him to do at the G league level and at the pro level. Um, but I, I just think that right now that they're, they're, uh, being cautious with their, their roster. Cause they know that they, they need to improve. They know they aren't there yet. They know they need more defensive players and they need defensive players who can actually get on the court. You know, it's one thing to have a guy who's a great defender, but if he's playing, 12 minutes a night half the time and he's not playing the other point then you know that's not really upgrading your defense um so that's where i think the kings are going to try to live they're going to try to live in versatile defensive players that fit what they're trying to build here in sacramento and then they also would like to take that one big swing to put some over the top and i i think they're close and for people who aren't watching what Demonis sabonis is doing here in sacramento um like he's probably one of the most underappreciated players that I've ever seen, but I mean, he's at like 19.7 points. He's at 12.8 rebounds, leading the league. He's at 7.6 assists. I mean, he's putting up triple doubles left and right. And I, I think he's not getting a lot of respect, but you need the players to fit, to help him. You need someone who will stop inline drives at the shooting guard position. 
you need somebody who can block shots at the power forward position. So my point would be that every player in the league has has some flaws. Sabonis so is not a shot blocker, and there are a lot of other players that aren't shot blockers, but the Kings need to figure out ways to support him and find those players that that fit together with him as much as anything else. And that's why I think part of this this trade deadline will be about, I think it's what this offseason will be about, how do you find all the right pieces to fit around Fox and Sabonis? Uh, and it's not easy, uh, you know, Fox, Sabonis, and I'd say Keegan Murray. And in uh, a King's wor- perfect world, it would be Fox, Sabonis, Keegan Murray, and Malik Monk. How do we find the pieces to go around those four? Um, so I think it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, and I do expect the Kings to be super active. Look, Sacramento has the foundational pieces to be a really good team going forward. They laid the groundwork mm-hmm. last year making the playoffs. I agree with your assessment on Sabonis. I think he's really good. Yeah, he doesn't block shots. All right. He does pretty much everything else at a very high yeah. level. Um, certainly an all-star guy. Fox is an all-star guy. Keegan Murray can potentially become that down the line in the eyes of Sacramento. Time will tell if it comes to fruition, but... They are going to be active, certainly, and I would certainly implore listeners and readers of the transcript when it comes out to equally subscribe to James and be active on his site and keep up with his podcast work. Um, It's certainly a guy that's had his nose to the ground for a long time in Sacramento. That's why I had him on. I hope everybody enjoyed his insight, my insight on Sacramento. And I appreciate you taking some time out, brother, for a lengthy chat. Always good to talk with you outside of um, work as well. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Love it. So anytime you need me, uh, I'm almost always up for coming on. 14 seasons covering this team. It's It's been a grind. Uh, hopefully I get a couple of years of some good stuff. Uh, you certainly uh, earned it. And likewise, brother, you know, uh, if you need me on Sacramento on your on your show for 1320, I'm certainly uh, a Zoom call away. And yeah, let's do that. To everybody else, I want to thank the listeners for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as James Ham, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter, uh, X, you know, whatever you want to call it now. At Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following James too. He's James underscore Ham NBA. And until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. <laughs>